Yeah, we're, we're called to be we're called to be different. And and I'm going to jump into that uh, in, in just a moment on how to do that practically, what what it what we can do to be different and what it takes to be different. Um, but I, I do I do want to start uh, this morning by talking about Satan. People are like, ooh, he's going to talk about Satan. Well, let me let me let me just say this about Satan, okay? Because sometimes when you say Satan or the devil to Christians, they automatically get afraid. You know, let me let me just say this: as Christians, as believers, there is no reason that we should be afraid of the devil. Now, we should be aware of him, and we should be aware in regards to how he works, how he operates. That's what we're going to talk about for a few moments. But it's for believers; we should not be afraid of Satan. Can somebody say an amen to that? All right, be aware, but don't be, don't be afraid. Uh, so I want to talk just a minute about his mission. Jesus clarified uh, his mission, Satan's mission. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. In other words, that is what Satan is here to do. He is here to steal, he's here to kill, and he is here to destroy. Uh, but uh, then he comes, Jesus follows that with what his purpose is. And he said, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. What a, what a difference, right? I mean, Jesus is saying, hey, I want my people to have a rich and a satisfying life. You, you guys missed a great opportunity to say, yes, praise God. It's the will of God for... You know what I'm saying? I mean, because I think we've almost demonized that a little bit. That, that, you know, God doesn't want us blessed. Everybody look at me. God wants you blessed. God wants you blessed. God wants you blessed. If you're watching online, God, God wants you blessed. That doesn't mean that you're going to be a millionaire and live in, you know, with 14 swimming pools, seven houses, and, or seven houses and whatever. You know, he's, that doesn't mean it's going to be that way. But God does, God does want you taken care of. And he's willing to do that if we just give him a chance. So God does want us blessed, and, and, and he does. But the, the other side of that, again, is, is Satan's mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, let me talk to you a little bit about his method. Everybody say method. Because without method, a mission doesn't matter. In other words, you can have the greatest mission in the world. You can have the, the perfect mission. But if you don't have a method to accomplish the mission, then you will never, ever succeed. But I want to assure you of this. The enemy, Satan, has a method. And it's important that you understand this. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, this is the Living Bible. It says, put on, the, uh, put on all God's armor. Let's stop right there. Put on what? All God's what? Armor. Put it on. Whose responsibility is it to put it on? It's whose? It's God's responsibility to put it on. So you may say this morning, and I got to move kind of quickly through this because I got to get somewhere. But you may say this morning, well, what is God's armor? The helmet of salvation. And, and the, 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 what is this? The belt is the what? No, breastplate is the breastplate of? Right. This, the belt is? Truth. Truth that, that keeps everything together, holds everything together. Are you following me? And, and, and there are other pieces, but, but ultimately, what is the armor of God? God's armor is his identity, his authority, his purpose for your life. That's what God's identity is. Excuse me, that's what God's armor is. But whose responsibility is it to put it on? It's our responsibility to put it on. If it's not on, it's not God's fault. 
If it's not on, it's not God's fault. He's provided the armor. He says, church folks, Christians, followers of Jesus, here's what I'm going to do. I'm providing my identity for you. I'm providing my authority for you. I'm providing all this stuff, but it's your responsibility to put it on. How many this morning, and I hope I get zero out of this. How many left this, uh, your, your house this morning naked and somebody had to tell you, go put your clothes on. If you did that, please don't let me know. I don't want to know about it. No, you didn't. You didn't forget to put your clothes on before you left the house. You got dressed before you went out. Everybody look at me. Every day we need to be dressed in God's purpose and God's identity and God's authority for our life. We need to make sure we're putting that on every single day. Can somebody say get dressed and stay dressed? (laughs) All right. Get dressed and stay dressed. But that's your responsibility. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not God's. But here's why. The next part of the, of the scripture says, so that, all right, so that you will be able to stand safe against all strategies and tricks of Satan. In other words, put this armor on, put identity on, put authority on, put God's will and pursuing God's will. Put all of that on for your life. Why? Why? Just so you can be a super Christian? No, Paul very specifically said, this is the reason you need to get dressed and you need to put it on. It's so that you will be able to stand safe against all strategies, watch this, and tricks of Satan. Talking about method. Tricks and strategies of who, of who? Satan. So essentially, I believe we could say this. If you look at this one verse alone, here's what we could, we could conclude this. We should conclude this. Without this armor that we are responsible to put on, we will be a victim of Satan every single time. We'll be a victim of his strategies. We'll be a victim of his uh, intent. We'll be a victim of his method every single time. If we do not get serious about putting on this armor and being intentional about having God's identity for our life, God's authority in our life in place all the time. Are you with me? So let me, let me unpack this, this strategies and tricks a little bit. Uh, it give, because, because Paul gives us a little bit of a glimpse of his method, the strategies and tricks portion of that. It, it tells us that, that he's, he's very methodical. He's very intentional. He's well-ordered. He's well-thought-out. Satan. In other words, his method is well thought of. Let me just say this about Satan. He is the greatest student of humanity. He's a student of humanity. He has studied humanity for for generations and generation after generation. He knows how people are wired. And he has a method and he has a strategy and he is a, he, he, he's a trickster, so to speak. But, and the reason for that is because he doesn't really have that many options in regards to people. In other words, he doesn't have just a huge array of weapons that he uses. Truth is, he's only got about three. He threw every one of them at Jesus. He threw every one of them at Jesus. Remember that? Jesus went into the wilderness. He was fasting. And at the end of his fast, he was hungry. And guess who shows up? (laughs) Oh, Satan shows up, right? And he basically throws him three pitches, right? He throws him three pitches. And what does Jesus do every single time? It says uh, that, that Jesus basically crushed everyone that he threw at him. 
Worship me, Jesus. Jesus said, I'm, that ain't going to happen. Not bowing. Here, here, turn this, turn this, uh, turn this rock into bread. Not going to happen. Commit suicide, Jesus. Jump off. I ain't going to do that, Satan. <laughs> Jesus had three pitches thrown at him by Satan himself, and Jesus crushed every single one of them. But here's what I want you to pay attention to. Pay close attention to this. Talking about methods. In Luke chapter 4, verse 13, I don't think we have this on the slide, but pay close attention. This is the account that Luke gives after Jesus has, uh, has thwarted every attempt, the three attempts that Satan had to get him. It says, when the devil had finished all this tempting, three, watch this, he left him until an opportune time. In other words, Satan was like, all right, you got me in this one, but I'm going to come back. So if you study the Gospels and you read the Gospels, do you ever see him come back? Come on. If you've read the Bible, if you read the Gospels, help me out here. Did you ever see him come back? Did he ever come back the same way he did in the garden? No. Does that mean he didn't come back? No, he came back. But he just didn't do it the way he did before. Why? Because he learned the lesson the first time. He said, I'm, I'm not going to show up like I did the times before. Uh, maybe, maybe he came back this way when he was coming after Jesus. Jesus was preaching in the temple one day and people were everywhere. His, his followers were everywhere. He's preaching in the temple. And then all of a sudden he gets this interruption, right? It's this interruption. It's these Pharisees walking in with this woman that had been caught in the act of adultery. Stop and think about that just a moment. Of all the times the Pharisees could have showed up, I mean, they could, have, they could have shown up late in the evening with just a few of the disciples and Jesus. Why didn't they bring her then? Why, why, did they bring, why did they bring her in this moment in front of everybody? My opinion, if you don't agree with it, when we get to heaven, Jesus will tell you I was right. <laughs> My opinion, yeah, he showed up again. Because if he could discredit Jesus in front of all of these people... He would discredit his reputation. It's very public, right? So I believe he came back on more than one occasion. Watch this. But he didn't come back the same way twice. Why? Because he's got a method and he's very patient and he is, he is intent on uh, stealing, killing, and destroying. And we better pay attention to his methods because he shows up in ways that we don't even recognize. We didn't recognize it. Amen? Let's talk about his place a little bit. Where's his turf? Where's, where is Satan's turf at? Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 tells us that Satan, who is the God of what? This world. Satan, who is the not big God, not big G, little G. All right. So sometimes, sometimes I think we give the devil a little bit too much credit because we almost put him at the same place that God is at. Never, never, never make that mistake because Satan is never in the same place that God at. God is at. As a matter of fact, one time he tried to move to the same place that God was at, and you know what happened? It was over about like that. He tried to exalt himself to the place of God, and you know what happened? God said that ain't happening. The Bible says Jesus said, "I saw it all." I, when it all went down, and Satan was like lightning. I mean, it was over that quick. Little G, listen to me, but he is the God of this what? He's the God of this world. You ever wonder why the world's so messed up? Now you know. 
You, you ever, I mean, when, when I was, when I was younger, when I was younger, I, I would, uh, then I hear the older guys, which when I was younger, I would say older guys were like my age now. Right? I had a little gray hair. And I'd hear him say, I can't believe what this world's coming to. I can't believe, can't believe. And I'm thinking, it's not that bad from a younger perspective. Now I'm in that place and I'm like, I cannot believe. <laughs> and the younger generation's like, what's up, Pastor John? It's not that bad, you know? You want to know why? It's so crazy. You know why violence? You want to know why all this stuff is happening? Because Satan is the God of this world. That's why. If you could peel back the layers, if you could look behind the scenes, ultimately you would, you would go back. So let's talk a little bit about his target. Let's talk a little bit about his target. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, let's go back there. It says, Satan, who is the God of this world, watch this, has blinded the minds, everybody say minds, of those who don't believe. What is Satan's target? There you go. There you go. Everybody look at me. Satan's after your soul. Satan's after your soul. Now, I'm not talking about your soul in the sense of your spirit, man, that belongs to God. It, it, you know, as who's that MC Hammer? I'm dating myself a little bit. You Google it. You kids don't know who MC Hammer is. Google it later. Can't touch this. You can't touch Amen. You can't touch. You're born again. Spirit man's alive. Can't touch this. It ain't going to happen. Right? That's been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. It's the eternal part of you. That's been bought and paid for. You're a child of God. Nothing can reverse that. Nothing can stop that. Okay? But you have another part of you that's immaterial. It's unseen. It's your soul. And a big part of your soul is made up of your mind. Your mind, okay? And, 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 and Satan's target, Satan's target for everybody, if you, be, if you believe this or not, it doesn't matter. Your disbelief doesn't make it untrue. All right? I don't believe that. Your disbelief doesn't make it untrue, okay? The enemy goes after your mind, and he's after the minds of people that know Christ and those who don't know Christ. Can I help you with something? And I don't, I don't want to offend anybody, okay? But from God's perspective, there are only two types of people on this planet. From God's perspective, there are those who are in Christ and those who are, are not. That's from God's perspective. And, and the truth is, Satan hates both categories. And Satan goes after both categories. What? Mine. And God just confirmed it with some thunder. <laughs> what? Was that not perfect? I'm telling you. God was like, amen, John. <laughs> you didn't amen me, so God did. We had a little thunder there. For those who are watching online, we just had some thunder right after that last statement, thunder. It's God's confirmation, right? But it's going after our, our mind because it's, it's in our soul. It's in our mind. Listen to me. That whatever, whatever, pay close attention to this. Whatever feeds our mind, whatever feeds our soul, shapes our belief system. Whatever. And your soul is the number one thing that Satan has access to. He has access to that. And he is intent 
on feeding your soul. And as Christians, everybody listen to me, as Christians, we are failing in the area of stopping him. We're failing. And here's, here, here, here is, I want you to hear this statement. And this is something that's been rolling around in my spirit for about the past three or four months. It's real strong. And you're going to hear more about it. Listen, there is a large gap between being a Christian and a follower of Christ. Being a Christian is a label. Being a follower of Christ is a lifestyle. And so what we're doing is now today when I'm looking and I'm seeing quite often, it's pretty prevalent, that people are living under the label but paying no attention to the lifestyle of God. Thank you for that overwhelming response, Pastor John. I'm so glad I came to church at Life United in Lake Charles today. But I'm, I'm telling you, listen to me. What's happening is, is that Satan is going after. He goes after people's minds. If you're born again or not, he's going after. He's going after your thought processes. And he's going after your belief system. Because if he can taint, everybody listen to me. If he can taint that belief system, if he can taint your mind, what happens is, is that it affects the way you behave. And it affects the way you believe. It affects the way that you see life, you see others and you see yourself it affects what's important to you listen to me it's the one thing that that, that the enemy goes after so i say it this way put all this together you live in a world listen to me let me let me let me back up where did i miss i missed this one part let let me just let me just say this i got i got to get this in so that it all so it all makes sense how many how many have ever heard somebody say the devil is just really attacking me has anybody ever heard that I've said that the devil is attacking me. The devil is attacking me. If you believe that, you are overrating yourself. If you believe that, if you believe Satan himself is attacking you, you're overrating yourself. Because... Satan is not omnipresent like God is. Satan can only be one place at one time. So if he's attacking you and he's attacking me at the same time, somebody's wrong. There are billions of people on the planet and he's attacking everybody. Somebody is wrong because everybody, everybody heard this guy named Paul. Apostle Paul wrote two thirds of the New Testament, started church. Uh, I mean, just revolutionized the world as far as Christianity is concerned. Do you know what he said about Satan in regards to him? It said, he said this, he said, Satan sent a, a messenger of Satan came to me. Now he raised people from the dead. He wrote two thirds of the New Testament. Wouldn't you think that Satan himself would go after him? Are you following this? But the truth is, Satan is one fallen angel that is evil. And he has demonic, he has demonic uh, help. Other fallen angels, watch this, that are working in the world, which is their stage, their place. And they systematically, the whole system systematically works, listen to me, to go after human beings' souls, their minds. That's the reason all these feeds are happening all over the place. And here's what's been happening. And I'm going to call this by a term that I think is accurate. We are suffering from soul seep. Not sleep. Seep. 
Because as Christians and believers, it happens so slowly that we're living in this world and we're not paying attention to what's going on. Even though we're called to be different, we're really not that much different. Even though we're saved, we go to church, we're still not that much different. And the reason for that is because it slowly comes into our soul, this, these patterns of thoughts, these ways of thinking from the outside, from the world, so slowly sleep seeps into our souls and it begins to affect our belief system. It begins to affect the way we behave. It affects the way we begin to respond. Are, are you guys with me this morning? So the question is this, how do we change? Because we're called to be children of the most high God. We're called, hello, we're called to be followers, followers of Christ, right? And we're called to be different. I'm going to say this a couple of times, not to prove to the world that we're good, to prove to the world that God is good. Can somebody say amen to that? So how do we, how do we change? How do we, how do we stop this soul seep? And how, how does that, how does all that, how does that work? Well, here, here's how it begins. Uh, turn with me or go with me to Romans chapter 12, verse two. We're going to talk about, dive into just real quick, how to stop this soul seep, how to turn things around, how to really change. So it says Romans chapter 12, verse two, it says, don't become like the people of this world. Christians, believers of the most high God, don't be like people of the world. Don't do it. Okay, Paul, how? How do we do that? And again, it's, 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 he's not saying that. Everybody look at me. Please listen to me. He's not saying that to say, you need to prove to the world that you are better than they are. Because if you do that, listen to me, you're infected with this disease called self-righteousness. When you're measuring other people by you, that's not Paul's point. Are you following me? You measure you by Jesus and what Jesus has done for you. And, and you leave everybody else alone as far as judgment is concerned. Can somebody say an amen to that? So it's not to prove how good you are. It's to prove how good what God is. So he says, don't become like people of this world. Watch this. Instead, watch, change the way you do what? Think. Change the way you what? Think. Why? Because there's stuff that seeps into our soul that's got to be what? Changed. It's got to be what? Changed. Listen, a change of behavior begins with a change of thinking. Then he goes on to say, then... You will always be able to determine what God really wants. What is good and pleasing and perfect to him. How many of you ever opened up your inbox on your emails and you're like, dear God. <laughs> huh? I mean, it's just like, where did they come from? All of these emails are just everywhere. I did that not long ago. I was like, where did all these emails come from? What do, what do I do? You got to stop. What? Take the time. Watch this. Revolutionary here. You don't want those, those emails in your inbox. You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to unsubscribe. Right? You got to take the time. Quit griping about them. And just go unsubscribe. 
Listen to me, because if you do not unsubscribe, those emails are going to keep coming. And it's nobody's fault but yours that you have 75,000 emails in your account. Taking up all that memory. Well, listen to me, the same thing is true with God. And what we're talking about here, there are certain thoughts that we're having, certain thoughts that we just keep having that are not of God. They're not godly. And you know what we need to do? We've got to learn to unsubscribe from these thoughts and thought patterns. I'm glad I came to church on Sunday morning here at Life United, because if not, it's just going to keep having the same stuff in your life over and over and over and over and over. So I could have gone a lot of ways here, but I thought, God, what? I've only got a few more minutes here. So what do I what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Which direction that we need to go? Because you can go a lot of different directions when you talk about renewing your mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2. You You can go a lot of different directions. But I I wanted to pick up on something that really, because we're talking about different and being different and behavior and soul seat that comes in and being different from the world. And so I really believe the Holy Spirit led me to this verse as a statement that Jesus made. And he's talking about being different. Same thing that Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 12. Don't be like the world. And listen to what Jesus said about being different. He's talking to his disciples, followers of, of, of his own, which we are followers too. Watch this. John 13, 35, he says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Your what? Your love for what? One another will prove to who? The world that what? You belong to who? Me. Can I say it this way? I don't think it's taking anything out of context. It's, it's, if Jesus is saying, you want to prove to the world that you're different? You want to prove to the world that you belong to me? Then you start loving each other the same way that I love you. And, and I'm telling you guys, listen to me. Sometimes the Bible is so simple, it insults our intelligence. It's like, we just got to love each other and we'll be different. Yes! Yeah! I'm convinced, and I'm not stopping, and you'll see just a moment why I say this. I'm not stopping until I take my last breath talking about this. Because I'm convinced today that if we would just start working on getting this right, we will see the greatest outpouring of God's goodness and God's blessings and change in the world that we've ever seen in the history of mankind. I mean, we tried everything else. Why don't we try what's the obvious? Why don't we try the obvious? Right? Right? So he said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Colossians 3.14 says, and over all these virtues, he's, he's go back and read that in context. He's talking about all these different virtues. But look what he says here. Um, uh, and over all these virtues to do what? Put on what? There you go again. How many knows that, that this stuff's not going to go on just like the armor doesn't go on automatically? How many knows that this is not going to go on automatically? You got to make a decision. Put it on. Turn to your neighbor and say, put it on. Turn to your other neighbor and say, put it on. If you're online in the chat right now, say, just put it on. Put on what? Put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So I'm going to, I've taken just a few thoughts from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. It is the ultimate guide to what I'm talking about, putting on this love. And you're making up your mind to put on this love. I'm, I'm going to make it real easy. I have broken it down and I'm not going to have time to go through all of them. And some of you are like, praise God, because I don't want to hear this love thing. Let me just say this. I, people say, I just want to hear something deep. 
Give me deep, 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 deep. Here, here is what people, when they say that, here's what they really mean. Teach something that I don't understand. Because they walk away and they're like, I don't understand what he said, but man, that was deep. <laughs> now, if you break it down and make it simple where people understand, let me, let me, listen to me. If you understand it, you have a responsibility to do it. If you don't understand it and it's deep, you have no responsibility to do it. You following me? So I've just broken it down on this love. Here's one. Here's one that's in First Corinthians. Love is, love is large and incredibly patient. Yeah, me too, brother. <laughs> that patient thing. I mean, he comes right out of the chute going, love is kind and love is what? I love the way this says it. It's incredibly, incredibly patient. That's the passion translation. Why did you have to put incredibly in front of that? Why couldn't you just say patient? Why, why did you have to go and make my day hard? Incredible. Incredibly patient. But let me, let me, say, let me, let me, listen, listen, when, when we begin to think about love and begin to think about this love that Paul said to put on, what happens is it begins to change the way we think here and it changes our behavior. And you say, well, what value is being patient? What, what value? Well, I'll, I'll just, since you ask, let me give you a couple. Number one is that when you're patient, you become a better, listen to me, you, you, you listen better. You know, today we, we, we got too much this going on and not enough of this going on. You know why marriages, you know why marriages are struggling today? Because they don't listen to each other. You, you don't, you don't, you don't listen to each other. All, all you do want to do is speak your mind. But no, when you got love working, you know what happens? You know what happens? You know what happens? You, you, you're patient and you're not listening to load up for your response. You're listening because you want to learn about that person because you want to connect with them on a level that God wants you to connect with them. Do you know what this would do with racism? Kill it. Because if we'll learn to listen to each other, you know what, we're, you know what we'll discover? We're saying. We're, we're, we're the same. We have the same wants, same needs, same desires, same hurt. We, we're, we're the same. Can somebody say a better amen to that? What would it do in church world? Patience. I'm going to move on because I know some of you are like, so what are you going to do when you want to be impatient? Well, I think it would be good to stop and say, I, I think I'm going to be patient. Because you know what happens? Love then stops the seep of selfishness. It stops that seep. Here's another one. I like Love, watch this. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. The other day, Sandy and I were walking in a mall. And there was this mom. I guess she was like a mom and then two daughters. One was a little bit older, like teenage, 12, 13 years old. And the 12 or 13 year old actually stopped on the way out, held the door open for me and Sandy. So I'm walking in and I see her do this. And you know what I did? I stopped and turned around and I said, who raised this kid? Mom said, I did. I said, whatever you're doing, keep it up. Because that 12-year-old or 13-year-old girl stopped and she was kind enough to open the door. We're not seniors yet. (laughs) Maybe a little bit of the gray hair gave it away. I thought that was so kind. What would the world be like if we were just kind? It'd be better, wouldn't it? If we just stopped and took the time to think about somebody other than ourselves and be kind. 
say kind things to each other. What would the world be like? So the next time you're tempted to not be kind or think about yourself and not hold the door open for somebody, you know what you should be thinking? I I think I'm going to be kind. I think I'm going to be kind. When I get up in the morning, I think I'm going to be what? I'm going to be kind. I think, I think, I think. And you know what happens when that takes place? It stops the soul seat because you know what the, you know what, you know what the world says? It's all, it should be all about you. And every, that's what, everybody listen to me. Do you know all the corporations, most of the corporations, the marketing, it's all about feeding selfishness. It's feeds. I'm having fun. I don't know about you guys. Here, here's one. Love does not brag on its own achievements nor inflates its own importance. I mean, I remember uh, a few years ago, there was the I am second thing that came up in the body of Christ. You guys, you guys remember that? I, I thought it was brilliant. In other words, people were giving their testimony, their story about what God had done. There are lots of famous people. And I am second. In other words, God's first. I'm second. I love that. Honestly, I was a little bit jealous because I'm thinking, I wish I would have come up with that idea. That's brilliant. Then I thought, wait a second. Wait a second. Maybe that's not right. I'm not, not dissing anybody. I love the idea. But the reality of it is, I don't, I don't think we're second. I think we're third. God's first. Others are second. And we're third. Does that not sound like Jesus to me? So, 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 to, to you. So, Instead of thinking just about me and my self-importance, what if we just start going, I'm third. I'm third. Not second. I'm third. Here, here's one. Is I'm, 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 I'm going to wrap this up. I promise you. Some of you are like, oh, please, this is painful. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm, I'm telling you. I know that I know that I know this is something that's been, we've been missing in the church. We, we, we've been missing it. Here, here's one. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. You know, it's, it's become vogue to be offended. It's like the thing to be offended. I, I want to be offended because everybody else is offended. It's popular to be, the, you know, everybody's offended. I'm offended at this. I'm offended you do that. I'm offended because you didn't do this. I'm, I'm, I'm what? I'm what? I am. I'm what? Offended. You know, I thought I had a pretty good grip on this. There's just, you know, is anybody here that's got your buttons? You know, you push a button, you're going to get this response. And then, and then you think, I've, I've got this. I've got this under, you know, I, I think I've been working on this and it's not, it's not difficult for me anymore. If this, a person does this, in other words, they push a button and you're like, oh no, I won't be offended by that. Only to find yourself in a position where someone pushes your button and you realize, <laughs> I got some work to do. That ha- this happened to me not long, long, not long ago. It happened to me. Sandy was with me. Thank you, Father, that Sandy was with me. So, I'm driving. And I'm wrapping up. If, yeah, thank you. So, I'm, I'm driving and, I, and I, get, I get this. It's like two lanes, the center lane, two more lanes, Right? Let's just be clear about this as far as proper driving etiquette. Okay? Two lanes, two lanes, driving lane, passing lane, 
driving lane, passing lane. If you're not passing, you be, you're on this far right lane, right? Only go in this lane over here if you're passing. Are you with me? All right. Turning lane. Let's talk about that. Turning lane means you, tur- you pull in there and you stop. You don't get in the turning lane and drive 700 yards to your turn. Passing everybody on the way. Okay. Now that we got that straight. So I am, I have pulled into the turning lane. There's a vehicle in front of me. There's a little truck in front of me. There was a red light, like probably a hundred yards in front. There's nobody in front here. I'm trying to get to the red light to turn left. This individual is supposed to be turning into a convenience store. So I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm being patient. Boom! Because there's nobody in front of her. It's all good. Go, go, go. But I'm not doing that. I'm doing it on the inside, but I'm, I'm like, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be patient. So from my vantage point, I can see the, the mirror. And from that mirror, I can see that she's on the phone. And I'm patient. She's on the phone. Not even looking up. She's just. So I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to be patient. I'm thinking I'm going to be patient. So I said, Sandy, I think I'm just going to bump the horn. Not one of those. Ah! Just one of those little toot toots. You know, you have different attitudes. You can haunt with an attitude. There's the attitude that says. You moron, what are you doing? That's the, ma. I didn't do that because I'm patient and I'm kind. So I was, I was, I just decided to give a little friendly little toot toot. So I gave the little toot toot. And this is where, this is where the offense thing came in. She looks up, looks in the rearview mirror. She starts driving slowly, turning left. And she puts her hand out the window. And she says, John Welch, you are number one. (laughs) Now, I thought I had it under control. I thought it's, it's tough to offend me. But when she did that, Sandy grabbed my arm. And she said, John, no. Because you know what rose up? Offense. How dare you disrespect me that way? And, and not only did this, I mean, she knew how to do it. She was like a pro. It just wasn't like out the window and back in. It was all the way in over to the gas. Just, You're number one and I want the world to know it. I realized, I realized I got some work to do on this offense thing. It reminded me of another time. I'm ashamed to say this. I was, this is back in the days we were living out in Wyoming still. And a guy did that to me. I cut across the Walmart parking lot trying to get his attention. I was going to get his attention. <laughs> Would you like to say that to my face? But I didn't. Realize that there's still some work to be done in John Welch. 
You know, I, I didn't pass. I did pass the test because I just kept going. And although I was just looking at her, just say, well, please look at me, sweetheart. When you get out, just look at me. Just let me give you one of those looks. But she didn't, thankfully. And Sandy was kept saying, John, 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 what do you do? She's just not so smart. Young lady, she needs Jesus probably. But it just made me realize that I've, I've let some seep in there. I've let some seep in there. And I got to, I got to plug the holes up by deciding, listen to me, I will not be offended. Because if you want to be offended, you will be. I want to be offended. I wanted to have my word. See, that happened to me one time and I felt like the Lord spoke to me and he said, people disrespect me all the time. People curse me all the time. But I still love them. So there was something that happened to me uh, a few months ago. It altered my life. It sort of solidified something in me that I felt like that I'm supposed to spend the rest of my ministry life really focusing on. Not the only thing, but it's going to be one of the main things. I have had, I've been, man, serving God for almost, I've been in ministry. Next year will be 30 years. And um, I had this I had this dream, and over the course of the past, over my lifetime, I can count the number of spiritual dreams, spiritual dreams on one hand. I had the spiritual dreams on one hand. So that I had four going into this thing that happened to me, you know, a few months ago. And uh, because God, God speaks to me other ways, he leads me other ways. He just never spoke to me through dreams for some reason. I, you know, I don't know why. So I had this, I had this dream. And um, so it was like, I opened my eyes. And when I opened my eyes, I'm in this space. I wasn't in a room. I was in this, it was just space. Right. And, and, and it's like I was suspended in this space. I wasn't like standing on the floor or anything. I was like suspended in this space. And immediately I knew, I knew in that moment, this is, this is a God dream. Something, this is God. And so the first thing that I noticed was this light. And it was a light. Like I've never seen anything like it ever. And I've seen beautiful sunsets. I've been, I've seen some amazing. This light was so different. But it wasn't, it wasn't the spectrum that made it different. It was the effect and it was the feel of it. You could feel it. And it was the, it was pure. So I'm like suspended and it was like, like that light was holding me up. And the next thing that I, I realized was this light wasn't reflecting off of me. It was like I was porous and this light was going through me. It was like it was just. I was in it, but it was in me. And then, and then I, 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 I could see somebody, they were right, right here in this moment, in this room. And I got the sense that I belonged there. And also got the sense that this person next to me did not need an introduction. I'm not saying it was Jesus, but man, he didn't need an introduction. And I wake up. So immediately I get out of bed. Sandy's up. And I said, Sandy, I had this dream. And I explained this dream. And she said, you're not going to die, are you? <laughs> I said, well, eventually, but I don't think anytime soon. 
And to be honest with you, part of it, I realized that it was that acceptance. I got that. I understood that. But I just did not understand. I just something wasn't settled in my heart in regards to what it was. So I just kind of just set it up there and like, okay, God, if you want me to understand it, then. Then he began to drop some things about God's love. Then it dawned on me, this is what it was. It was God's love that wasn't just reflecting off of me. It was God's love that's supposed to be in me. In me. Everybody look at me. Please listen. We are in love with the fact that God loves us. We sing about it. It makes us feel good when we talk about it. And we should feel that way. And we shouldn't stop. But God has so much more to say than about the fact he loves us. He's got a lot to say about his love being in us. His love is to us is automatic. But his love in us, ladies and gentlemen, it's our choice. And if we're going to change this world, if you, if you care about God, and if you care about what God cares about, and if you don't care, if you just want to come to church, do the church thing, that's your business. He'll take it up with you later. But if you want to be serious about living in the time that we're living in and making a difference and pleasing God's heart, then I would ask you to start thinking more about what God thinks in regards to his love. Thinking and letting that begin to seep into your soul. Take 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 and just start pouring over it every single day and stop the seep. Watch this. Because the enemy is killing and he's stealing and he's destroying Christians every single day because seep is happening and seep has got to stop. And love is the only thing that can stop it. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus.